you, you know, you get older and your priorities change a little bit and you become more responsible and you want to do things like adult things like support local businesses and things like that. Right. So I get in my head that I want to support local businesses, you know, not shop on Amazon for everything that I need. Um, and there's a farmer's market right by our place mm-hmm. that Elise and I like to go to. So we go to this farmer's market and it's like the quintessential, like support your local business place, right? Like these are obscure farms going there to sell their wares and kind of an old school feel of how it used to be. Right. Well, let me just jump to the end of my story really quick and I'll go back. (laughs) I hate it. I Uh, hate, I hate dealing with local businesses Yeah. because people and it's not like I'm a terrible people person, but maybe it's just my interactions with people. They don't happen the way that I want them to. Right. And so there's this farmer's market and there's a candy store Mm -hmm. that we will always go and stop by. And the owner is usually always in there, of course, because it's a small place. Like they can't afford to have a bunch of people working the store. So every time I go in, I see him. And from the first time I went in, he called me Mark Cuban. Uh-huh. He was like, Mark Cuban. <laughs> hey. And the first time I'm like, oh, hey. And I don't think I look much like Mark Cuban. <laughs> I don't know if you have no, a you different. Don't. T- I don't. I don't look like Mark Cuban. And I was like, oh, uh, yeah, thanks, yo. I lived in Texas for a little bit, whatever, trying to make small talk. Mm-hmm. Every single time I go in there, even if I just want to grab one thing and leave, Mark Cuban, hey, Mark, you know? And you have to keep up this, like, mindless banter with a guy who thinks you look like Mark Cuban. And it's gotten to the point where I don't want to go in that shop anymore. I will be like... We go and eat at a restaurant near there, and then I'll say, all right, Elise, you want to take Indy to go get candy? Because he doesn't think you look like anybody that he knows, <laughs> and you're going to get by, right. but I'm going to have to deal with Mark Cuban. Hey, Mark Cuban, you know? Yeah. And then there's another local shop that I like to go to to support, and I can't go in there without buying something every time I go because I feel guilty. Mm-hmm. I can't just go in there and browse and... So the other day I went in there with Indy. We're looking around at stuff. It's a comic book shop. And I was trying to get him like a comic book, which is really hard to do, find an appropriate six-year-old comic book. Mm -hmm. And I end up grabbing the East of West second book. So I just grabbed that because we couldn't find anything for Indy. And I walk up to the counter. And again, small shop. Local, right? Maybe three people work there every time I've been in. I see the same three. And there's this lady at the counter. By the way, too, I wanted to buy... This is a related, mm-hmm. but I wanted to buy Sex Criminals. Have you mm-hmm. heard about that graphic mm-hmm. novel? But I couldn't because there's right. a lady, right? right? And so that's the other problem with local businesses. It's like everybody knows you. Mm-hmm. And I'm sure maybe she's read it and it's a well-known comic, but you feel there's a slight margin of error that you right. have you well, i think it just is the con- the concept is what would hang me up like i'm i'm holding a graphic novel called sex criminals 
while standing at the counter with two my two daughters <laughs> right right with my six-year-old two, two years old right? and i'm not and even like, buying anything for him right i'm just like yeah i just brought him with me because i really want to get <laughs> yeah, this i uh, just really need to get the new sex criminals all right <laughs> yeah and so okay there's another problem right but I make it all the way up to the counter and i'm trying to approach this you know interaction with an open heart and an open mind hey maybe we're going to talk about graphic novels what she's reading or whatever conversation you're supposed to have at a local place of business i put up east of west she looks at it and i feel like she goes to say something and just loses all gumption Mm -hmm. for life and it just comes out as like a (laughs) and i'm just like yeah and she just grabs it awkwardly rings it up i pay and I walk out of there and I'm like, that was a really awkward interaction. Why, why would I want that? You know, it's like this ideal of local business and getting to know your neighbors and stuff. But then when you do that, you can't control the interactions. You don't feel like you have the freedom to buy sex criminals with your six year old mm-hmm. like you would <laughs> uh-huh. in any bland larger without being judged, without being judged. Right. <laughs> and i i just i'm just like ugh. like ultimately i still obviously i support local business right i'm not just gonna run amazon for everything but the interactions are not all that they're cracked up to be yeah i i had a similar experience inside of that comic comic book shop where and i think they're just awkward i think the difference is though the people in the comic book shop are probably younger than us, right? And it is local, but they're probably just as awkward as anybody else. But it's like my experience was I was in there with my two daughters and they're not they're touching things, you know, but there's it's a comic book shop. It's not like there's super valuable stuff around and they're kind of running around. They're not really being loud, but they're making noise and we're the only people in there and I'm making sure to pick up after them and everything. And the people, there were two people in there working and they didn't really say anything to me that I remember. And then, um, I get checked out and nobody has still said anything to me. (laughs) And then like, I remember being walked out of the store escorted, escorted, but, but it felt like I was being escorted because nobody had said anything to me. And so I'm thinking like, Maybe this guy is seeing that like it's kind of difficult for me in here with two toddlers <laughs> running around while also trying to buy a comic. And so maybe he's trying to help me with the door while I'm getting my toddlers out of the store. But because he's not saying anything to me, I feel like I'm being like ushered out. Like I right. feel like I'm being like this guy is being like, you know, all right, get out of here. Like you've you've disrupted us enough enough. But the, uh, I think the difference is with the farmer's market. Now, I've been into the candy shop with you when the guy calls you Mark Cuban, and he's like an he older does, guy. Right. But here's the thing about that. Like, that older guy would be able to do that with another old guy that walked in the, to the store, right? And they'd be able to go back and forth, and it'd be like, as an observer, it'd be old like... Old man banter. Like. Right. It'd be like a a neat thing to observe, I guess. Or it's like one of those like iconic things. You know what I mean? It's like, it's like a, it's a, it's a local market. You know what I mean? And these two are from the community, but you know what else I feel about that? Like, I feel like 
if you get those two guys together and then like you start to like probe into their conversations or push them a little bit, they're probably like pretty racist. Right. (laughs) You know what I mean? Like that's just what I think about for some reason. Like he seems like a nice guy. And I think it's hilarious that he calls you Mark Cuban. Right. But it's also one of those scenarios where it's like, yeah, like these are the local guys been in the community for 50 years but I bet if you push them a little bit, they've got some like <laughs> skeletons s- in yeah, their closet that you don't really want to hear them say. You know what I mean? That's a so. good point. That's that's a great point. Exactly. Yeah. I'd rather not know your skeletons and buy your wares than to have full purview of who right. you are when I'm just there to buy some candy. Right. Yeah. And sign same, up for that. At the same time, I love that there is a a guy who runs a candy shop that is calling somebody else Mark Cuban, Cuban. every time they walk in. But you're just happy they does that to somebody, not you. <laughs> to, yeah, exactly. exactly. If it was me, uh, just like you, after the second time, I would probably never go back into that <laughs> shop again. Right. Unless he had some sort of like candy that he made that was not sold anywhere. You know what I mean? Mm. Well, yeah. Speaking of, uh, well, speaking of uh, things you don't want to hear people say. This is Everything's Interesting. Why wouldn't they want to hear that? <laughs> no, they're just not going to want to hear what we show have to so say. Much. Oh, okay. Right. Um, I'm Justin Blizzard. I'm here with Keith Krepko. And I think today we're going to talk mainly about It Follows. Uh, that'll probably be most of the show. We'll talk about other things in between. I have a lot that I've been watching. Yeah, I have a couple of things that I've watched that I'd like to talk about. But I think we're going to focus mainly on It Follows. Which is an independent movie directed by David, David Robert, Robert Mitchell. Mitchell. And yeah, <laughs> it's, it's my show now. It's starting to get a wider release. It's actually I'm actually was surprised um, in, at the theaters it's it's in now. So mm-hmm. I think there's a good chance that it's playing near yeah, you. Yeah. Um, so yeah, we're gonna we're gonna take a quick break and then we will come back with our discussion on it follows. So before we get into uh, our discussion on It Follows, what have you been watching this past week? So I've been watching a few things I'd like to talk about. But number one is a show on Netflix called Bloodline. Yeah. What I love about shows like this is it's the kind of like no fanfare release that before Netflix you'd be like, someone's embarrassed of this. Like, this, it just appears at, like, Blockbuster. Right. Underneath, like, the new release big film. It's just, mm-hmm. like, one copy of a movie with, like, oh, I know that guy, but no one's talking about it. But now in the era of Netflix, you don't know. Like, so much stuff is getting released. So much stuff is getting f- funded and bought by Netflix that it could be great quality. 
you know? Um, and I listen to podcasts and everything. And I maybe heard one person talk about Bloodline after I'd seen it been appearing for like two weeks. Yeah. And just hearing one person say something about it and I found out who made it. It's uh, from some of the people who made Damages, which is a show that I really, really liked the first few seasons of. I was like, okay, I'll, I give in. And Ben Mendelsohn's in it, who I really like. Um, and so I start watching it. And if you've ever seen Damages and watched Damages, you will like this show. It's the same kind of premise where you have a one story, like a family drama, that is then intercut with flash forwards to some violent act in the future that you don't know how these characters would get there. But it's, but that is done with an interesting twist where they really, really go for it. So instead of where some shows would pull their punches, where the people that they're setting up are in a violent situation in the future that still maintains their integrity, usually with what these people will do is in the flash forward, there's something that actually undercuts the main characters. So even as in the flashback, they seem like good people you know that what they're going to do in the future is like not a good thing. Mm -hmm. So I find that that tension is really interesting and daring in terms of a storytelling standpoint. Um, And so it's got me intrigued. And then I was just reading a little bit about it. And Todd Vanderwolf, who we've talked about a little bit, he's one of the guys who started Vox or is a senior editor at Vox. Mm Mm-hmm. Um, he wrote about the show and said the last four episodes are some of the best run of television Netflix has ever done. And just hearing that made me like, okay, I'm a sucker for somebody endorsing something with feeling. So how much of it have you watched? How many episodes are in the first season? 13 episodes. Mm -hmm. And I feel like 13, this is something else that maybe I hope we can talk about next week because we're going to talk about maybe something that's a little shorter, like a short film, is the length of things. Mm -hmm. And I feel like, especially with television, I like shorter series of things. 10 episodes, I think, is my ideal season. This is 13, and 13 just feels a little long. Like, I am on episode 7, and I still have, like, six more hours of the show to watch. And that feels like, for what I've put in i feel like i'm i'm right you know 10 i'm great with 10 right and so there's a little bit of that where it is feeling a little stretched out after six episodes but i i think it's well acted it has the um linda cardellini mm-hmm. from freaks and geeks mm-hmm. um so i think it's really well acted it's set down in the keys where i'm from so i just like that setting I can identify it, and um, I would I would endorse Bloodline. I heard it was really slow. I think it was Jeff Kanata that I listened to on. He's the only person I heard. I, like you, I've seen it on Netflix and countless amounts of times, and I've just never Clicked watched it. it. And then I heard Jeff Kanata talking about it on Slash Filmcast, and he liked it as well. But he said it was really slow, and he said the stuff that they're setting up is stuff that the amount of time in between where you start and where it ends is just seems immense. <laughs> right. I, I don't normally like reach out to people, mm-hmm. write emails and stuff, but yeah, that comment 
has got me debating whether or not I do want to just send an email and not be like one of those people who's like, rah, 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 but be like, when you say slow, define slow because I've seen slow and slow in my mind was family drama where like the drama is you didn't come to dinner last night and mom was looking for you, mm-hmm. you know, and it's like, ugh. but <laughs> there's like, there have been two dead bodies that have yeah. had to be investigated. A, a ship has blown up mm-hmm. and a lot of action has happened outside of just the family. Kyle Chandler, who's one of the main characters is a, a police chief. And he's exploring what's going on with these, like, there are these immigration killings. Mm-hmm. So it's like, even if that was just one side plot, you have people being murdered, you know? Mm-hmm. So yeah. that's not slow in in my book. I don't know. Um, it does deal with the family, but I think they're, they're careful to be like, make things happening there interesting. So I really disagree with the fact that this is slow that it needs emphasis Mm -hmm. yeah maybe it's a little slow but i've seen i've seen slow yeah this is not slow i might check it out yeah do or don't i mean you're at work you know your job yeah you have the time i definitely have the time yeah so (laughs) so i i would endorse definitely at work It's, it's a definite work watch all right did you watch going clear the Scientology documentary? I did not. Mm. Are you going to? I don't know. I've read some reviews on it, and I actually read some of the book. Oh, okay. And from everything that I'm hearing, people are saying, like, yeah, it's a good documentary. It's literally nothing new, and it's like a footnote of a footnote version of the book. So okay. why not just read the book? Yeah, we we watched it last night, um, which I guess I'm not that into the Scientology world, like I had no idea about the book, right? I didn't, you know, I I guess I was familiar with some of the stuff covered in the documentary, but I had never really delved that. It didn't catch my interest that, you know, it just always seemed like it's just as like a crazy religion. You know what I mean? And it didn't, that just doesn't interest me for whatever reason. But the documentary I thought was good. Um, It's definitely not very nice to Tom Cruise, mm-hmm. which up until this point, that has been my only connection to Scientology. You know what I mean? Because Tom it's like Cruise. Tom Cruise is a Scientologist and he's crazy, but he's a great actor for what he does. Mm-hmm. And so that's never really bothered me. And I guess it is, it's kind of gets in the, in the territory of like the Woody Allen territory or um, whoever else it was recently. But it's like, do you let the personal lives of these people influence whether or not you watch their movies Mm -hmm. or read their books or whatever? And not saying that I'm the biggest Tom Cruise fanboy, you know what I mean? But it's just, like I said, like he's good for what he does. But now it's kind of like, eh, maybe, (laughs) you know what I mean? Maybe, I I just don't know if I'll be able to like watch Edge of Tomorrow you know what I mean? And Have be you? like, and not, yeah, I did see, I did watch it. Okay. Yeah. A few weeks ago and not be like, eh, that guy's kind of a jerk. You know what I mean? Yeah. So that's kind of all I really took from it. Yeah. I, I don't have a problem. 
I feel like Scientology really does set itself apart in pretty much all areas of cultish behavior as Mm -hmm. being something truly unique, you know, whether it's the way that they're structured, the way that they attack people who leave the church or go against the church. Like I've seen some of those websites that have popped up in response to Alex Gibney. And there's actually a, um, somebody posted something calling out like this Twitter and they're like, Twitter's like this are the reason why Scientology is like the most um, pernicious, like disgusting uh, organization out there. And so I click on it to see what, and it's, it's, it is like just attack ads. Although you should see, it's really funny. I actually looked at it today. They apparently, whoever's running that Scientology Twitter has grasped onto one idea to attack, attack Alex Gibney. Mm -hmm. It's basically Google image searching images of people sleeping in a theater and then being like, Alex Gibney has the solution to your Z's problem. And they just have like a bunch of Z's <laughs> and it is literally like 30 tweets in a row mm-hmm. of like Google image search, just young people in a, in a theater s- sleeping with them making fun of how boring the documentary is. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's just, but I look at the followers it has like 160 followers, you know mm. what I mean? So I'm like, mm. number one, why would you even bother calling out this Twitter account? And then also I'm like, that's how I feel like Scientology is now. It's like full of celebrities, which is why people I think are fascinated and horrified by it. At the same time, how many people are actually Scientologists? Yeah, and that's kind of the thing that I came away with it is like, I don't know how concerned or how interested I should be in this group of people who are harassing like five or six people who have defected. And I'm sure that I'm simple. I'm sure I'm, I'm definitely simplifying it a lot, but at the same time, it's like the, the, to me, the most interesting aspect of it was the whole tax evasion thing. You know what I mean? And how Mm -hmm. they got around the taxes and how they were, eventually declared um, a religion and so they didn't have to pay tax. That to me was the most interesting part of it. Yeah. But that's a small section of the documentary. Yeah. Most of the documentary is these are the people who have left or defected and these are their stories. And this is how even, and not even all of those people I feel like are being harassed, but this is how two or three of them are being harassed right. and they're being harassed. Right. You know what I mean, they're being annoyed, but it's not like, like nobody's being physically abused that I know of. Mm. So, so it's kind of like, it's kind of, it's just kind of, it's kind of, it's, it's, I guess it's kind of like the juggalo thing. You know what I mean? Yeah. Where it's kind of like, all right, like I may think they're weird. It's not what I'm into, but ultimately like, why do I, who cares? Like, right. let them do what they're going to, you know what I mean? Like right. you're not harming people. Mm-hmm. I, at least I don't think that's not what I got from the documentary. At least it just seems to be this like crazy ideology yeah. that's centered around like this tyrannical leader. Mm-hmm. And for some reason people are following him yeah. and he's abusive. Right. And, you know and I, mean? I feel like, like people are going to follow something else. Yeah. You know, if Scientology isn't going to get them, like, is it as harmful as, some large companies. Yeah. You know, if you want to, I, I don't know, or, um, fast food. Yeah. Like just go eat a bunch of fast food or join Scientology. Right. 
Yeah. All right. Oh, one more thing I really I want to say really quick. <clears throat> I watched a documentary. Oh, why did I say? I don't think it's a documentary. Called, um, I believe it's called Charlie Victor Romeo. Have you mm-hmm. heard about that? I've seen it on Netflix. Yeah. And do you know what that is? Mm-mm. It's about, um, apparently it was a play where people will perform black box recordings from plane crashes. Mm-hmm. And will reenact, you know, the scene. And after what happened to the German airline recently, mm. it it I, I knew about it and I was interested in it. And then with the German thing, I, I don't know. I, I just decided mm. I'd like to watch this. And so I watched it and it is just really bizarre. It is. It's interesting from the standpoint of you hear these people who are solely focused on their job um, through the moment of death, right? Mm -hmm. And there's something interesting, I think something useful about that, where you can see these people who are acting heroically without ever being acknowledged or acknowledging it. You know, if you you hear about it, airline crash you're like oh that terrible i wonder what happened or was somebody asleep you know or or not paying attention and then you listen to these and you realize no these are people who are like fighting till the last second to do everything in their power to keep this plane from crashing and it is kind of powerful to hear that yeah at the same time the distance that these filmmakers try to keep from the crashes themselves is I don't I don't understand why like you you you're you're not it's it's almost like they are identifying like we could be exploiting this but we're not because we're going to be so far removed it's like scientific you know what I mean so we're just at the end we're saying how many people survived how many crews survived or what and it's like no you just put me in the cockpit with these people and then at the end you just want to be like hundred in text, right? 150 people died. Mm-hmm. Next. Right. And I'm like, <laughs> yo, who and who survived? And you right. know what I mean? Like, yeah. give me some context, right? Show me a picture of the actual crash or whatever it is. Right. And I have a problem with, I'm going to spoil the first one. Mm-hmm. Um, but you're watching it's like black box recordings, right? Whatever. The very first one, there's, you know, all these people on board, the plane's going down, all this stuff. And they safely crash landed. So I'm like, oh, so this is going to be like a, not everyone is going to die in this. That's interesting. Every other crash, (laughs) people die. And I wanted to be like, so you put the one where people survive up front to what, like pull the rug out from under me? Like, oh, not everyone's going to die in this thing. (laughs) And then literally every, everybody else dies. That that felt exploitative mm-hmm. in just the way that they set that up. Or like they know that we're anticipating death, so they don't give it to mm-hmm. us on the first one. <clears throat> that I had a problem with. Mm-hmm. So I have problems with it. I think it's well acted, you know, the people who are doing it. I like the simplicity of the set and everything. But again, and then they show schematics in the beginning, which again, I feel like it's like a false, like scientific remove. Like we are just you know, kind of cultural scientists looking at this, um, at these cases. And it's like, no, you're not. You're 
you are exploiting these things for your own gain to some extent. And I wish you would just kind of be more open with it and be like, isn't this fascinating? We got black box recordings. Like, here are the crashes, you know, and go a little more in depth in them. So, mm-hmm. yeah. All right. Um, have you? Did you watch anything else? Uh, yeah, I'll save the rest for next week. Okay. So we'll we'll talk about it follows. Before we get into it follows, I watched. Is his name David Robert David Robert Mitchell? Yeah. I watched his. I watched his the movie that he made before it follows. The myth of the American sleepover. Right. The myth of the American sleepover. I watched it. Now, first of all, let me say this. I. I bought it on my phone on iTunes thinking I can just either send this to my Chromecast or just watch it on my computer. Obviously, I don't want to watch a movie on on my phone, right? (laughs) It turns out I could do neither. I can't send it to the Chromecast. (laughs) And if you buy something on iTunes on your phone, you can't then use it on your Apple MacBook. Yeah, it's like... What kind of system is that? It's the exact <laughs> same store. You know what I mean? Like, that is so stupid. So I had to watch it on my phone. Um, but after watching It Follows, I wanted to check out the movie. And it seemed, I guess it had gotten good reviews, even though it didn't seem that interesting to me. But what I had heard was like an updated, dazed, and confused. You know what I mean? And... I would say the biggest difference maybe is that like Dazed and Confused takes place during the 70s, right? And the 70s um, are cool. (laughs) You know what I mean? (laughs) Whereas I think the myth of the American sleepover takes place in probably around the 90s maybe. Or maybe it's current. But it's for some reason to me it felt more like like maybe like the 90s or the... 2000s but not a cool era right but that's not those eras aren't cool so it's like so i think it does a good job of depicting that and following like i definitely related to some of the stuff like i think the movie opens with a kid following his mom around the grocery store you know what i mean like a high school freshman which is something i used to do Mm -hmm. so it's like oh okay like i can relate to this but ultimately that's like like imagine that scene and that feeling stretched over the course of two hours. Like that's basically what it is. It's just as a bunch of awkward, like teenagers, 14, 15, 16 year olds. And it's not acted particularly well. I don't feel like it's written. It's not written terribly, but it looks great. Mm -hmm. Like, and that, I think that's the, that's something we'll talk about with it follows, but it looks really good. Mm -hmm. Like he, like uh, he's a Mitchell is a great, director he has a great vision whatever you want to call it but right. it, it looked really well but i don't know if i would i don't know if i would recommend it i mean i watched the whole thing and i after watching it follows i was really excited to see it just because of how much i liked it follows but i don't know were you interested at all in watching it i was interested but based on things that i've read and and what you just said I feel like I've seen that movie yeah. <laughs> before and I'm not interested. Like, yeah. And maybe as a calling card, I would see like why he would make a film like that. And in one inter- interview that I read with him, he kind of touches on it and he, and he does kind of like the defensive, like I love that film and stuff like this. Well, at the same time you feel like this kind of like, okay, wasn't, you know, I'm not going to be like, Hey, watch my first film. Yeah. 
Um, <clears throat> but I'm just like, watch Palo Alto, mm-hmm. the um, the new film by um, the Coppola, Gia Coppola. Mm-hmm. She she made it, and it's like, yeah, it, that film's been done a million times and better. So watch Dates and Confused if you want an update. I'd recommend Palo Alto. Yeah. Okay. Well, on to It Follows. Um, it's like I said in the like I said before. It's a it's it, well, it's one of those movies that was like made last year, right? But it's just now being released. Yeah, it went on the festival. Right. Played at Con. Okay, so an independent movie it was made last year. It's just now being released, and because it's doing so well, it's starting to get a wider and wider release. Um, but before we actually talk about it, I just wanted to get a brief like a recommendation. Do you recommend somebody seeing it? How should they see it? If they do, if they should see it, you know, blah, 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 blah. Watch it in the theater. Mm-hmm. Yes. Yeah, I, I would say the same thing. Watch it in the theater. You know, if you haven't watched it, if you haven't seen it, I would say, you know, table this podcast. Stop listening. Go see it come back and listen at a later time with that being said um we'll get into the a full discussion on the movie so it's about a girl named jay she gets uh, something transferred to her when she has sex with her boyfriend um and then for the rest of the movie she has somebody it it is following her around um so let's get well. Let's talk about just a, I guess maybe a general impression outside of the recommendation. Did you 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 like the movie a lot? Yes, I, I really like the movie a lot. Um, <clears throat> I think my my one sentence take on it is kind of a horror movie that's more concerned with ideas than actual scares. Mm-hmm. So. The ideas presented in the film, I think, are meant to live with you longer than the thrill of like a gotcha yeah. moment scare. So did you think it was scary at all? I did not find it. See, again, the, you know, words like this, like with the Babadook mm-hmm. and with It Follows. But it is, you know, people do call it a horror movie. Horror movie. So you expect it to be scary. And people say scary. And honestly, I mean... Was it creepy at times? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Was I ever truly terrified? No. No. Mm-hmm. See, I, yeah, I, I think it kind of depends on your definition of scary. Like, there, I don't think there are any jump scares in the movie. The like, big dude. Yeah, but I, I wouldn't, I guess I would think of a jump scare as like a loud bang of music or something, something to catch oh, you yeah. off guard. And I feel like that moment, it definitely catches you off guard, but it didn't. I don't know. It didn't like make me and it was scary. Mm-hmm. It freaked me out. Mm-hmm. I don't know. I guess for some reason I don't. But I guess I th- I feel like the difference is I f- I think that that is that moment is kind of earned and it like makes yeah. sense in the movie. Yeah. And it's not just like here's a quick cut with a loud bang of music to catch you off guard. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Um, But I yeah, I would say I in that sense, I would say the movie is scary. Yes, I, I thought it did a great job of like. Once I feel like once the premise of the movie is delivered to you, which is pretty early on and you understand what's happening from that moment on for me, it was like full on tension for the rest of the movie and the tension never went away. 
And that's one of the things I really liked about the premise that I feel like a lot of horror movies don't have anymore is like the, the premise itself is not scary. You know what I mean? Like, uh, you know, we saw a preview for some, the, the, the poltergeist the, i thought the, now i thought poltergeist looked good yeah 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 but there was another one where it just was like uh maybe it was insidious three. Oh right? yeah it's just yeah. like here's a demon girl and she can do anything and you know what i mean it's kind of like that to me isn't scary because it's not i don't know it's just not rooted in anything you know what i mean mm-hmm. where the the premise of this is at all times someone is walking towards you and when that person gets to you they will kill you no matter where you're at. And that to me, that's a scary premise, right? Mm-hmm. Like that's a really good scary premise. And it's kind of like, um, it reminded me of like the, like nightmare on Elm street. Like the premise of that to me is really scary of like this guy that o- only attacks you in your dreams, mm-hmm. but he can kill you in your dreams. You know I mean? And it's mm-hmm. like, what's the, what's one of the things that as humans is inevitable that we do every day is sleep. Like you can't avoid going to sleep and if you do i thought you're gonna say have sex <laughs> right? like, if you do you'll get so exhausted that you'll fall asleep you know right. what i mean like you just can't avoid it and that to me is a scary premise and yeah i mean obviously sex is avoidable but at the same time it's not like it's not a knowable thing like she mm-hmm. didn't know that was going to happen when she had sex mm-hmm. and then but then once she had it it's like like i said something is walking towards you at all times, no matter what. So you can't stay in one spot for, you know, any amount of time because that thing is getting closer and closer to you. So it's kind of the same thing with sleep. Like you can't go to sleep for eight hours because over the course of eight hours, the thing could reach you. Right. So I just thought it was a great, it's a great scary premise. Mm -hmm. Very. um, So that, so I really, I I really, I love the movie Mm -hmm. and I think, I ended up liking it more after the more I've thought about it and after the movies, the couple days since we've seen it, I'm actually trying to, um, would you ever show the movie to Elise or do you think she would ever watch it? Yeah. I'm, I'm excited to, to, to watch it with Elise. See, I don't, I'm trying to convince Julia to watch it, but I don't think she just doesn't like horror movies. So I don't think I can, and I, I don't know if she'll be able to, with that, all that being said, as sort of like on edge as it had me, I don't know if she'd be able to, if she'd want to get through the movie. <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah. Well, I guess b- before I go on talking seriously about this movie, I want to say something snarky and stupid about it, which is I would love to see when the it thing came into being and started following the first person who had sex but it knew if it killed that person that it would have <laughs> nothing to do right. forever. So it, it explained its own rules to them. It was like, Hey, go have sex with somebody else. Uh, and then I'll, and then I'll come right. and go and kill them. Yeah, that's true. <laughs> like it must've been in cahoots with the first person. Right. Because if it ever right. got back to its origin, it's like, does it die or does it just sit now for eternity with right. like mission accomplished? Right. <laughs> I got nothing else to do. Right. <laughs> Well, I got the one guy, and I guess that was kind of it. So I'm on back here now. I, I like it going to whoever's over, like go to Satan, and be like, "Look, give me another chance with this. I didn't understand the rules at first, and I killed that first person, and it felt great. And then I, and then I realized now I got no one. So infect somebody else. I'll do better this time. Yeah. And Satan being like, 
one oh. more time. <laughs> I'll give it like a month to spread around, and then I'll start. Right. <laughs> one more time. I'm not resetting this again for you. Right, yeah. It's like, okay, okay, I, I will control my... I'm sorry. Um, okay. <clears throat> I think it's interesting... But quickly, though, that's one of the good things about the movie is it never tries to explain what no. it is or where it comes from. It sort of gives you this very basic rule of it's always the only real rule it establishes is that it is walking towards you at all times. Right. And, and once it gets to you, it'll kill you. This is what annoys me about sometimes like I've, I've read a few reviews on this. There aren't a lot of podcasts out. But the little bit that I've I've listened to, I feel like a lot of people today they get hung up on these like side details or the wrong details. Yeah. Where like the clamshell e-reader, it's great. It's a great touch. Why are you trying to figure out like where does this come from and why a clamshell and whatever? It's like all of it is working together either for some purpose that the filmmaker wants you to think about and discuss about. But not get hung up on like, you know, somebody I feel like we're a week away from a podcast where somebody legitimately goes, I hate it follows because what about the first person that was infected? <laughs> Who, how did that thing let it go? How yeah. did it even start? It's just so stupid, you know? Yeah. It's like, that's not the point. Yeah. You know, the point is the mood, the idea, right? Mm -hmm. So just accept it or, you know, don't watch it and or don't record a podcast or write a review where all you're doing is like complaining about the clamshell e-reader mm -hmm. and the origin of the it, mm -hmm. you know? But <clears throat> I feel like it's interesting, like you're saying Julia doesn't like horror films, because I feel like this film has a distinct, like I, I was interested to get a female perspective from the sense of growing up because... This film is not just about the horror. It's also about kind of growing up in the suburbs and growing up with, you know, sisters. And I felt like it had a perspective that was, you know, distinctly female that I would have been interested to know, like, is this relatable for how, you know, some girls have grown up or what would they pick out? So, or if Elise would watch this and be like, this doesn't reflect my childhood or female relationships at all. Mm -hmm. um, and so, yeah, for, for, you know, people or, or like if Julia's like, I don't like horror movies, I'd be interested to say, well, don't watch it for the horror aspects. Watch it for the kind of the mood, this adolescent kind of atmosphere of growing up in the suburbs and stuff. And, and I think that there's something to take away from that too. Um, you know, it is scary, but I think it's got a lot more going on. So I think it would be a shame if she didn't. It's like Babadook, you know? It's yeah. like, it's scary, but there's a lot more going on that, that's interesting. Yeah, and it's it's more, like like I was trying to say, I think it's more of the mood and the setting of the movie that is scary or it just is, makes you feel uneasy than it is any one, like, something jumping out and yelling boo at you. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. um, okay. Oh, I wanted to talk about the technology. I did want to talk about the technology stuff. Yeah, me because too. Because that was the one thing that I didn't that I, that I thought that didn't have a clear explanation to me that I thought was really interesting. And I think what I've settled on is that it's being used 
to just give kind of a timeless feel to the movie. You know what I mean? Because one of the girls is has this like clamshell e-reader that just doesn't exist. Um, but then everything, but then they're watching TV on old, they're watching black and white movies on old tube TVs. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. The cars are old. Uh, but then, except for the first one, isn't they the 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 car that that girl first leaves maybe. in? Maybe, and it, she also like has really a, she also has a cell phone. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I, I feel like it's being used just to sort of maybe give it a timeless feel. I'm not really sure. Uh, the one thing it made me think of was like Pulp Fiction because I remember Pulp Fiction kind of did that when it came out, where you know the the cars are all classic cars, but there's a cell phone. Mm-hmm. But then they're, you know, it's it's so highly stylized mm-hmm. that you don't really get a feeling for the time period. And I feel like this is probably doing the same thing. Yeah, I have a slightly, I agree with that. I have a slightly different take in the sense of, I feel like another thing that the technology does for the film is it makes it feel like you are in that alternate universe where I felt like Elm Street could have been like a town away from them. Mm-hmm. You know, Freddie could have been terrorizing kids literally in the next city. And in this city, it's it follows, is happening. Like, it feels like it's in the same universe. So it does give it that otherworldly aspect to it. And then the other thing I was thinking about was how much is he commenting on modern cinema and horror tropes, but also this obsession with teenage and twee trappings where all these teenagers in film, modern film, or especially independent film, are like listening to vinyl records and reading Dostoevsky, right? Mm. But in this, the character's reading Dostoevsky on like a clamshell, like (laughs) e-reader. Like it is kind of absurd and hilarious. And I felt like it was kind of commenting on, you know, in, in another film, it would just be like this cool dorky kid who only watches like B fifties movies. And that's like his thing. When this one, the kid watches old movies, but it's never commented on. Mm. No one's like, Oh, why do you watch these old movies? And so it's like accepted that in this universe, this is what they what they watch. Mm-hmm. So I feel like it's as if he's taking it on face value and saying, "All right, what if all those twee trappings were actually like legit? What these kids did, you know? This is what it would look like." And it wouldn't. And it does at first. You're like, "Oh no, are all these kids gonna be talking like Juno?" You know. Mm-hmm. And then you start watching, you're like, no, this is the universe that they live in, where Juno tries to say in the real world, but says, like, yeah, these characters talk this way, and it doesn't sound real, you know? Yeah. Or at least to me. Right. So I really liked it. I feel like that's one thing that the technology was doing, was it was kind of commenting on films like Juno mm-hmm. and stuff and saying, let's take a world like that for real and apply it and say, this is how these young kids actually act. Yeah. This is how they would look. This yeah. is this is what, what it would be like. 
So what did you feel like the main message of the movie was? There's been a, there's been a lot of talk about, or there's been some talk about, you know, it could be a comment on STDs, which I think the director, that was the one that the director said, that's not how he saw it. Well, I think he said that is a reading. Right. But I think but it wasn't he has, his, right. He or has his a, intention at least. Or a primary one. I think yeah. he has a more primary one, but that one is obviously there. So what did you feel like? What do you think his primary intention was? And is that what you took so away from the movie? I will say this. I, I want to shorten what I said to you before tonight, um, which is just I do subscribe to the idea that, especially in film or honestly with any art, as soon as you open it up to the public, you lose the sole ownership of the meaning of that. Right, You've turned it over. So therefore, somebody can come and have a different interpretation of it that's just as valid as yours as the creator if they can justify it, back it up, and you know have a good conversation about it. So I subscribe to that. So I don't fully agree that you know your reading has to line up with the filmmakers. So having said that, my initial take on it, I think the strongest take that I have is of the STDs. Now, as you push a little more and you think about it, it becomes a lot more sinister when you see what the what the malevolent force does, like who it inhabits, because it can mm-hmm. make itself look like anybody. And the fact that it chooses, in the times that we saw it actually killing somebody, that chooses to look like the parent. Mm-hmm. And then at the end, when it's attacking Jay it takes on the form of her dad Mm -hmm. that it has this other take that I think is more what the director hinted at of Mm -hmm. like sexual assault and stuff like that. Yeah. And, um, and, and I, I, I like that. And to think about that deepens the, the, the theme of the films a little bit. Although I think I still just pull back and I get more interested in, this viral aspect of passing this from one to another through, through sex. And then also what maybe the film is saying about sex. Cause it's obviously saying something because the it thing is naked for a lot of the film. Yeah. Um, when it's coming at people. So I think David Mitchell is either saying something just about, again, commenting on genre and saying, you know, classic horror, you get punished for having sex. Mm-hmm. So let me, put that into my horror film because that is a classic trope or he is saying something about the nature of sexuality, you know, that with more openness um, and liberation comes more dangers of this thing. Mm -hmm. I don't, you know, I'm not too excited about that take. I don't think he would be either, but I think it's there. Yeah. What about you? I I think that's, see, I didn't, for whatever reason, I did not pick up on the family member thing. Now I noticed when the, it comes to get Greg that it was Greg when it first showed up to the house. Right. And so I thought that that was, first of all, I was confused as to whether or not it was actually Greg when Mm -hmm. Jay first saw it walking up to the house. And I'm thinking like, why, would they cast somebody that looks so similar to the person it's going to kill? But then I'm thinking maybe the it is doing that because it's trying to 
it's basically like camouflage, right? In mm-hmm. case somebody is watching Sees it, them. it just looks like Greg, Greg. going to mm-hmm. his house. And then when Jay goes into the house and sees the it, and it is Greg's mom, but you don't know it's Greg's mom, right? He opens the door and he says, well, Mom, that's what do you the thing. want? He opens the door and says, Mom, what's going on? But as soon as he opens the door, the thing jumps on him. And so I'm thinking, so I'm just thinking, Greg is just this, Greg has no idea what's outside of his door. And up until this point in the movie, he has claimed that he hasn't seen anything following him at all. Mm-hmm. So I'm thinking he's at home. He's thinking the only person that could be knocking on his door is his mom. So he just opens the door. So he's as soon as he's open, it's just his reactionary more than anything. It's just him being like, Mom, what are you doing? Because he's assuming it's his mom. See, I, I you know, it's just his reading the scene. I just didn't pick up on that. Mm-hmm. And 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 it wasn't I just wasn't sure what to think. I wasn't sure if that was what his mom because you don't see his mom at all in the movie. Right. So I didn't know if that was his mom or if it was, like I said, him just being assuming it was his mom and saying mom. So I never really picked up on that. The one, the one thing I did pick up on was they kept showing family pictures mm-hmm. of Jay. Mm-hmm. So I assumed that had to mean something, but I didn't realize that the it was taking the form of her father in the pool scene, right? Mm-hmm. And I know there is a line where she's like, you don't want to know like her sister asks what it looks like. And she says something like, I don't want to tell you and right. I guess you, that's you supposed to be the indicator that it's her father. Mm-hmm. I had no idea. Mm-hmm. I had no idea from the brief glimpse of her father that I'd gotten in family photos to the brief glimpse you get of the actual it in the pool scene, because you're still not getting like, you're still looking at it from a distance or while it's throwing things, you're not getting a clear shot of it that mm-hmm. I remember. So I never made that connection while watching the movie. See, but, but I feel like that's that's the interesting thing is that it's more of a hint. Oh, absolutely. It, it, yeah, yeah, it's more of a background, like, as you think about it, and he's not making an overt kind of direct, like, look, dad, right. daughter. No, and I know? think that's great how he handled it. Right. All I'm saying is, Walking out of the movie, I had no inclination of that whatsoever. Mm. I did. I was picking up on. You could obviously tell that they came from not a good house, family wise. And and Greg and his sister, I think they're looking out the window, and she's like, she mentions like that family, right? Is screwed up right. or whatever, right? Yeah. Um, so I definitely picked up on that, but I just didn't see the it things as family members. I just didn't make that connection. Uh, and I'm sure that that is the central message of the movie. Something to do around abuse, maybe sexual abuse, maybe just familial abuse. And I think that that's really uh, a great message. That's a mm-hmm. funny way to say it. But no, I think yeah. I think that works. And I think that makes the movie a hundred times better. Yeah. Well, I mean, th- th- let's extend that analogy, right? So what is the effect of abuse of sexual abuse isn't it that now you have something that follows you right for the rest of your life yeah and that can ultimately destroy you you know absolutely i think people can be defined by the abuse in their lives so yeah i think that that follows through in terms of again it doesn't matter to me if the director intended that or not 
But I think that's a theme that is direct that you can connect to it. That I think is like you said, it's a it's a good message. It's a powerful message if you choose to read it that way. Right. And yeah. And so walking out of the movie, I was to me, the movie, I was sort of trying to put the pieces together on what it was saying about just the nature of sex, because in the movie, it's the act of sex is never used as anything but um, this way to transfer something to somebody else. I wasn't making an STD comparison or connection, but it's it's in the movie. It's very transactional. You know mm-hmm. what I mean? Even in the very first sex scene, as soon as that that is probably the most um, emotional one, I guess you could mm-hmm. say. But immediately afterwards, she's um, knocked out and tied to a wheelchair. <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah. And every scene after that, it's like, okay, we're doing this because I'm giving you this thing, and now you're going to live with it. You know what I mean? So I was trying to make that connection, um, and I was trying to tie that in with so. One of the things I think they said on the Slash Filmcast that I thought was interesting was they assumed that, is his name Paul? Yes. They the assumed that, right, the, that the friend Paul in that scene where he drives by the prostitutes, he they assumed that, he, that that means that he slept with one of those prostitutes. Did you make that same assumption? I didn't make the assumption. Yeah, because to me it seemed like he doesn't sleep with them, right? Because like... You obviously see him pulling up and you're thinking, oh, he's going to sleep with the prostitute, which makes sense, right? Mm -hmm. To give it to somebody that's going to sleep with a lot of people. But then he just drives by. And to me, it seemed like, oh, you know, he loses his nerve or, you know what I mean? He's just going to live with it. it. It goes back to my reading of the ending now, which is that my reading of the ending is that both of them have come to terms with it. And just like in the beginning episode where that girl goes out on the beach and is like accepts her fate that they both have accepted their fate together. Mm-hmm. And so he had a chance at that point to pass it along, keep it going, but he chooses instead to just link himself to her, which was what he wanted all along. Right. And then to accept the doom of their relationship and kind of carry it out together, yeah. you know? Um, not that they are like just giving themselves over to it, but that they're just going to live their life together for as long as they can. And ultimately my interpretation is that they get killed by the, by the it because you, did you take the ending the way that I did that they are being followed by it at the very last scene that that's it behind them? Uh, I, yes, I, yeah, I did. So, I mean, if he passed it on, then either he, he, it didn't work the way that he wanted that that prostitute quickly lost her her love of yeah, of the job of prostitution <laughs> right that he he ended it for her right. maybe she's now in love with him right. and she's looking for him and she gets killed pretty quickly or that yeah he just he just drives on and in that moment accepts that you know we no matter what we do we are still fated to probably be killed by this thing well that's the that's the thing though that's the thing that's so great about the premise is at at the end it's just them two walking down the sidewalk and then um cut to neighbors or something and cuts back to them and then you see somebody in the far distance Mm -hmm. walking behind them now it's a sidewalk 
plenty of people walk on the sidewalk. Mm-hmm. And I will also say the majority of the followers in the movie are either mostly naked or wearing all white. And the person at the end that's following them is wearing red. Red, yeah. So color. Yeah, so who knows? But I did I did interpret it the same way in that yes, they are being followed, or he is being followed, mm-hmm. I guess specifically. But I you know, it's obviously ambiguous enough that it could be anybody. And it's great. I mean, I love the ending. Mm-hmm. I thought I mean, it's it's a very obvious way to end the movie, but that's not a bad thing. You right. know what I mean? Right. There's it, something to be said about going with the obvious with ending the obvious because choice. it's the best ending. <clears throat> yeah. And, and the last thing that I'll say, too, is I felt like it was always after Jay. I felt like even in the way that it attacked other people, it was to torment Jay. Mm-hmm. The huge delay between... Um, Greg seeing, you know, having sex with Jay and then seeing it doesn't make sense in the context of the film because when Jay sees it, she can travel across town and he'll be there. Right. So where did it go? There's three days walk from Jay and the fact, or from, from Greg and the fact that chose to be Greg walking through, I interpret that too, that it is trying to make this as painful for Jay as possible. And, um, or the scene where she's driving away and it's on her roof, you know, or the scene at the beach where it grabs her hair first. We know it moves faster than that when it's ready to attack. And I think that goes back to this idea of sexual assault, right? That it is all about no matter what somebody who has experienced that tries to do in relationships or to have somebody else help them with their burden, they are still the ones who are going to be tormented by this thing, you know? And so all the other people who die around her, I, I got the sense in watching the film that the force wasn't as interested in tormenting them as it was in Jay. It seemed mm-hmm. to take pleasure in tormenting Jay, which <clears throat> I think is interesting to think about why does this thing have kind of a choice in how it goes about its it's murdering or is it truly just a force that male or female it is reacting the same to them? Mm-hmm. Cause I, did you get a sense like that, that Jay was more afflicted than maybe the other people in the, it makes sense when you say it, but at the same time, it's like the movie is only ever concerned with Jay. So I don't, and that's the thing like with, with Greg's experience, we don't know what Greg's experience is because we don't, follow him at all but it is strange that you know he goes what three or four days without seeing and you and you don't know maybe he's just saying that and he has seen it before i never thought about that to That's try and calm down jay mm-hmm. maybe but he, he but just he hasn't seen it for three days right but he doesn't act like like at the knocking sure. he acts like he's never right. considered that he's actually yeah being followed but i i do like the idea too of this force like you know, she goes and sleeps with the um, with the frat boys or whatever, mm-hmm. and that this it thing for them is just like, boom, 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 <laughs> dead. Right. All right, back to Jay. You yeah. know, and then yeah. like she'll go to Greg. It's like, let me wait three days for Jay. It's like, boom, Jay's dead, and then it's like back on or, or Greg. Why well, I keep saying Jay? Greg's dead, and it's back on Jay. Like, yeah, I do like the idea and get the sense of like, 
it's just quickly disposing everybody surrounding Jay, but on on Jay, it's just kind of meeting out its its torture. Yeah, yeah. I I don't know. I I didn't like I said. I think it's hard to say just because you're you're you spend the whole movie with Jay. Yeah. Uh, so the last thing we'll talk about. So I think that's you know overall that's I love the movie. I really liked it a lot. I liked it so much that I'm trying. I'm going to try my hardest to convince my wife to see it with me in the theaters. Oh, in theaters. Again, even though I know she doesn't like Let, let me know if you guys want movies. a double date. I'll try and get at least well, We're thinking out. about going to Cinebistro, maybe. Oh, yeah. Because they're playing it. Oh, they are? Yeah, surprisingly mm. enough. But I don't know if they're playing it past Thursday. Cinebistro, I feel like things are in and out, man. Yeah, I, I don't know. They're, they're going to fill up with Fast and Furious 7 <laughs> right. as soon as they can. Right. Okay, so last thing we'll talk about with... Uh, it follows is the soundtrack. What did you think of the soundtrack? Loved it. Did you? Mm-hmm. I thought because it's like, you know, so it has kind of the heavy, slow synths mm-hmm. that I think we're all used to now with mm-hmm. like this drive. drive you know, Hotline just, Miami. I was actually going to recommend the soundtrack for you at, mm-hmm. at a recommendation. I decided against it. But yeah, very electronic throwback sound. Right. But see, that's what's interesting. It's interesting that you bring up a video game because it has those heavy, slow synth moments that eventually just dissolve into like straight up like 8-bit music, yeah. which I thought was really strange. It doesn't happen a lot, and it doesn't like throw a wrench in the movie mm-hmm. as much. And I guess maybe people who aren't as interested in video games wouldn't notice it, mm-hmm. but it just seemed like a strange yeah, it's, it's inter- I guess I've been playing a lot of video games lately and listening to music like that, that, you know, like The Nick is a mm-hmm. television show that I love maybe solely for the music. It's like early 20th century, but they use the synth score from the guy who did Drive. Mm-hmm. And it sounds exactly like the Drive soundtrack, but... That kind of anachronistic music really stands out to me. And I really like video game music to an embarrassing degree where I've actually like sought out some bands that are yeah. making music just on like video game consoles and yeah. stuff like that. Well, that stuff is so hard to find because some most of it is so like erratic and frenetic and just like mm-hmm. all over the place. And I do think uh, I would be interested in listening to just the soundtrack of It Follows. It just... I, I guess it was just weird to me that out of nowhere it dissolves into just like straight up like Mario music, basically. <laughs> You're waiting here like the boing, boing. Right, exactly. <laughs> Growing from a mushroom. Yeah. Okay, so that's It Follows, a great movie. We both recommend you go see it. Um, you have been playing something. Well, it, it's more of a story about playing something, okay. although I have been playing Darkest Dungeon, which I think I've talked about mm-hmm. on here. Again, highly recommend. I can't recommend it highly enough. But we took my six-year-old son to the museum mm-hmm. to see the. They have a video game. Um, like, oh right, the Chrysler Museum that has the video game, whatever you want to call it, display that is just all old arcade consoles. Right? Have you seen it? Did you go? No, I've seen pictures, and it just seems weird that it museum exhibit would just be arcade machines like that's just an arc that's not a museum exhibit that's just an arcade well i think arcades are becoming museum exhibits like you're going to want to be like this son mm-hmm. is what we call a arcade you know 
Um, I we we went, and I have to say, whether it's the Chrysler Museum, like the like the size of the Chrysler Museum, there's something to be said about the modesty of their kind of shows, mm-hmm. where I feel like let's beef this up a bit, you know. But I have to say, number one, it is amazing to go in and see like a super NES or Mm -hmm. it really is like it really kind of got to me Mm -hmm. seeing those and remembering back to my childhood because it's one thing to just think and remember and nothing to see the console in front of you and they have like for each console like four games that represent that console that you push a button it talks about like this was Mario 3 this was um dude I remember Sim like Sim City for the console way back when I used to play that like crazy Totally forgot it even existed, yeah. you know? Um, but I want to talk about they have a few set setups where you can actually play video games. And it's not like arcade. It's like projected on a big screen. Mm-hmm. They have the original Mario Brothers set up. And my son got to play the original Mario Brothers. And it was amazing. I cannot... I. And I don't care how crazy it sounds. It was amazing to watch him play that and like truly emotional. Mm-hmm. Number one, he hasn't played a Mario game and yet he knows Mario. He loves Mario. Right. When he saw that original game, he flipped out, which was great to see. And then he like waited in line. He got up there and he completed the whole first level like without dying under like totally got the controls execute them well for a six-year-old and and i was like i, I it was it was just amazing to see it, mm-hmm. it really was yeah. it was amazing to see this old console like still in use and and being used today and 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 i i was like it was amazing how moved i was by the whole experience but watching my son play mario mm-hmm made me realize like video games are such a part of my cultural identity and lexicon, whether yeah. I want to, you know, acknowledge it, whether I do acknowledge it now or, or, or not, it was at one point like such a part of my life that to have that all of a sudden come up again in an unexpected way. It was, it was amazing. Yeah. It really was amazing. Yeah. Yeah. That's, I, I get that. It just seems strange to me that because that's all the exhibit is, though, right? It just is arcade. It just is you playing games. Well, I mean, I and, and look, it it needs some, but there's no. That's what I'm saying. There's no like. There's like. There's no like art, right? Like there isn't like I am eight bit does a thing every year where it's like here are paintings and yeah, stuff inspired yeah. by video games. Right. You know, like Ollie Moss does a lot of great, like really cool video game art. That right, I would expect to see in a video game exhibit, not just arcade machines. I want to know like who the curator was. And look, another thing makes me think like we're in Virginia Beach, you know? Yeah, we're we're, we're not in like <laughs> right. the cultural. Yeah, we're not center. in San Francisco. Exactly. So, yeah. you know, part of me thinks that. So I'm happy to get what I get. Sure, but it has like one small room, one bigger room where you engage with like four, like Pac Man projected, Mario projected, another the original mist or something, which wasn't, um, mist exciting. Sucks. Yeah. Um, you know, or, or <laughs> <laughs> um, and, and so it's like, it's like, 
and then and then you see you know the console's encased, mm-hmm. so you don't touch them or anything. But you just see like this was the first one. Moving on in Windows ninety eight or whatever. Um, so that's interesting. And then they have one small room of like six arcade games. Mm-hmm. It needs a cure. You know what I mean? Like we need a curator with vision, right? At the same time, it's still powerful to see. And there's something to be said about watching your child interact with the games of your youth. That's surprisingly, surprisingly moving. Yeah, I can. I, I believe that. I didn't think about it that way. What were the games that they had selected for like the Nintendo? Do you remember? Like like when, when you push the buttons? Uh-huh. Yeah. So I and again, like Super Mario 3 and, and it depends on the console. And honestly, it's all blurring because I was like. Star Fox, you know, yeah. but I can't remember which. So they had Star Fox, they had Super Mario, uh, and I, I can't Sim City. Mm. I can't remember some of the other ones, but I mean, all of them I was like identifying with, like yeah. pushing buttons, um, and just kind of in all. And Elise like didn't get. I think at one point Elise was like, <laughs> "What do you do?" I couldn't like talk. I was like, "I just saw uh-huh. it super <laughs> any inch." She was like, oh, "Okay, yeah. great, yeah, yeah, all right." Um, Yeah, so we're going to take a break, and we will come back with recommendations. week i recommended i had a, a little bit of a softball recommendation of houndstooth one song did you listen to it yep what'd you think um yeah i'm i'm interested to hear more um in terms of one song blowaways it didn't mm. knock my hair back yeah no it's not a blowaway song but i i it's it's got my interest yeah i'm, I'm excited to, i think the album comes out tomorrow yeah so I'll be interested to listen to it. Yeah, I'm I'm interested too. Um and and like you said, it definitely has a different take on a sound that I think you think you've heard before mm-hmm. that is actually kind of interesting. Yeah, it's like a good um reputable like not embarrassing version of she and him, right? Kind Ooh, of. That's good. That's interesting. Yeah. Yeah. I didn't think about him like that. It's a version <coughs> to me. It's a version of she and him that you're not embarrassed to be like, yeah, this is, I like she and him. Right. <laughs> right. <laughs> I like Houndstooth. When you say you like Houndstooth, you're secretly admitting to like she and him. I don't think that's true because I don't like she and him. <laughs> and I like Houndstooth. No, you say that outwardly, but if you like Houndstooth, <laughs> that means somewhere deep in that coal of a heart you have. Right. <laughs> It's a little love for uh-huh. uh, she and him. Right. An acknowledgement, maybe. Right. All right. So what is your recommendation? Um, well, I want to slide in here really quick, if I can, a little bit of what I've been listening to and then lead into my recommendation. Because sure. I was going to, I was thinking about recommending um, that you listen to the new Sufjan Stevens album, mm-hmm. Carrie and Lowell. Um, but honestly, it's an album that's too precious and dear to me to <laughs> to share it's uh-huh. like a pearl that i choose not to throw before uh-huh. swine i will now listen to it just so you have to talk <laughs> about it on the show i've never actually listened to a sufian album and you, you know oh, part of me part of me wonders if this is even a good starter 
Um, I will endorse while I'm here uh, the Pitchfork review of Sufjan. Mm-hmm. I think the guy on Pitchfork does a great job of kind of addressing all that Sufjan is, kind of saying like, yeah, Sufjan is the, I'm, I'm wearing wings and I'm covered in... Um, day glow paint. Day, day glow paint and I'm singing songs about like whatever he's singing about. Mm-hmm. And I'm dancing like a jerk. Yeah, you know, like, and, and saying like, that's if you're now now here he is in here's where the album settles in and this is what it means to him here and then using Carrie and Lowell to unlock some of those other song uh, other songs that you you won't have a reference to but for me being a Sufjan fan mm-hmm. Carrie and Lowell really does like it's like a skeleton key that you then use to go back to older songs that you that you've heard and you've been like is this just like a made up you know, kind of scenario or whatever. And you realize like, no, he's actually in those older songs singing about like real things in his life. They just didn't open up about, you know, and it really, it goes a lot to kind of explain why he is the character he is. So I, I feel like if anybody wants to listen to, or like Sufjan, this is an amazing album and it really is saying something. Like if you, want to hear somebody who's trying to do with their music something personal and and kind of honest then this album is that so whether you like the music or not you're at least going to get somebody who's trying to through their music do something and say something which i think is always interesting mm-hmm. yeah might as well give somebody a shot if they're trying to say something to hear them out you know mm-hmm. so anyway <clears throat> I I choose not to recommend that. Uh-huh. <laughs> Instead, I'm going with something that that may have an even lesser chance of hitting. Okay, but which is why I'm interested in you hearing it. So NPR, uh, their first listen, again, it's been on a tear and it's incredible. Like I feel like every week there's like five, like they can't throw them out fast enough. Yeah, you know, not saying all of them are good, but uh, Jesse Balin mm-hmm. has an album out. Um, called Dark Place. And I kind of want to withhold some information about who she is. So J-E-S-S-I-E? J-E-S-S-I-E. Okay. B-A-Y-L-I-N. So it's on NPR's first listen now. So I'd recommend, I don't know when the album comes out, but it's obviously coming out soon. Right. Um, And so listen to it on first listen before they take it down. But I'm sure you have till next week. Mm. Um, I guess I'll leave it up to you. Do you want me to kind of tell you who she's linked to that made sure. me interested? Okay. Cause I was, I was kind of <laughs> like, this would be fun to throw out depending on, uh-huh. on how you feel about her music. But there's two people that made me think I want to recommend this to Justin. Uh-huh. Number one is a guy that I think both of us are interested in, but maybe not, Maybe not we're huge fans of, but I'm a fan of of this guy, um, and that's Richard Swift. Mm-hmm. So Richard Swift has worked with her for a while, and on the NPR write-up, um, they referred to him as uh, her co-writer and okay. producer. So I think the fact that he's maybe co-written some of these songs interesting, and as a producer, I think we both agree that he's a great producer of music 
Yeah, I, although I would say about Richard, I think Richard Swift probably has three songs that I really just absolutely love, love and, and then, 500 that I could care less about. Exactly, <laughs> exactly. But but I think he's interesting. You know? Yeah. And and those three songs, I know which ones you're talking about, are amazing. Mm-hmm. They are. If he ever wanted to just do a full album of that, right. it might be my favorite album of all time. Yeah, you know? I agree. So he's got in him, and he's. I think he's interesting. He also produces a lot of Jamie Damien Gerardo, who I I love as well. Um, Damien Gerardo, I've never listened to, but his name reminds me so much of just like like a Jack Johnson type person Ooh. that I've never listened to. It just reminds me of such like a '90s like soft rock guy that my mom would be listening to on the radio. So I've never listened to him. <laughs> If you if you at all get interested or you're bored, Not listen to, to bash his, on somebody's name that they can't control whatsoever. <laughs> Damien Gerardo's a poser. <laughs> um, no, his, his last album's super good, but this is this is what what, what got me. Um, Jesse Balin has probably received more media attention for having a child with her husband, Kings of Leon drummer oh, Nathan no. Followill. <laughs> Oh man. <laughs> yes. And I knew wow. I knew exactly. Jeez. And so I I know that saying that has immediately put things into your mind yeah. that I kind of I I wish I could now go into an alternate <laughs> dimension and see us next week when I tell you uh-huh. but I figure maybe you'd read that on NPR anyway and I wouldn't be there to That's true, to yeah. see the look on your face when I say this is the wife of Nathan Follow Will. <laughs> Man. <laughs> so enjoy her album. Yeah, the gauntlet's been thrown down. All right, well, I'll, I'll think, check it out. I don't know. I haven't seen the liner notes. I don't know if he's actually... He may have been too drunk to actually drum on her album, yeah. so you may... He may have nothing to do with this. Yeah, but that, and that totally overrides the Richard Swift exa- uh, association, exa- which is why by I, the and way. Exactly, exactly. <laughs> Yeah. All right. Well, I might be more interested in just talking about Kings of Leon <laughs> for 50 minutes next week. Well, I feel like that's the fallback. That's <laughs> yeah. why that's why this is the perfect recommendation, because yeah. even if tomorrow, if next week you you yawn right. at this, it's like, so Kings of Leon, what do you think? <laughs> yeah. All right. Well, that'll be next week. Uh, you know, that's the show for this week. You can follow us on Twitter. I am at Blizzard with nine Z's. <laughs> I'm um, at Things Come Right. Yep. And you can email me if you have any questions about the show or comments. My email will be in the show notes. Uh, any of all of the music credits are in the show notes. Uh, anything else? Nope. You can find it at our website, brownbluewhite.com. Oh, I thought you were asking me something. No, I was kind of. Oh, okay. Um, but there's not really much there either outside of the show itself. <laughs> <laughs> so this is kind of it. This is all you got. Um, and I still, I just have no way to end the show. So, you know. I mean, we've only been doing this like 30 other times. So. <laughs> right. So um, maybe I'll, 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 you know, at some point in the week, I think about it. I have like a fleeting thought, but that I don't actually put any time into it until, and then I don't think about it again until we're sitting here. And, and I'm you're like scrambling. setting things up, right? And I'm like, oh man, um, you need a catchphrase. Yeah, something. Uh, 
Yeah. So as of right now, we have nothing. Uh, well, and I guess we can we can preview because I kind of brought up. Yeah. Next week, I think we're going to talk about uh, a new short by Don Hertzfeld. Yeah. Called World of Tomorrow. So if you want to get in on that, uh, there's a little. Head- I don't even know if we do pre. This may be the first. Sure. Preview of an if episode. we actually stick to it, because I know we before we've said like, hey, we're going to watch this next time, and then. We watch Surprise. it and just don't talk about it. Right. <laughs> no, I think this is I think it's good and it's only sixteen minutes, which there is there you why go. It's perfect. Yeah. All right. So yeah, next week we'll talk about that Don Hertzfeld short and uh, that's it. The end. <laughs> <laughs>